So. So. How's it going? Uh, you know, from, from the last podcast, not much has changed in... Not... Well, I tell you one one thing that hasn't changed. We still have a, a couple of other lads with us. Uh, we've got uh, Phil and Jack on on the line. Hello, <laughs> this is a radio show. Uh, lads. Long time caller, first time listener. Oh no, is that the wrong way around, or is it the right way around? <laughs> yeah, it's another podcast full of lads. <laughs> All right. So I have to apologise for for causing. A late recording, right? This is my fault. Yeah. Um, because I I had to force close a couple of apps. Do you ever do you ever feel like when you force close an app, you lose a bit of something, like like some something doesn't quite get garbage collected or part of the <laughs> GPU is still being owned? But does because you never feel like this. Like I I, no. I maybe it's a throwback from Windows. I used to feel like if I had to force close a few apps, then things would start grinding to a halt, and I would always be like, oh. No, for me, it's the other way around. For me, force closing is the ultimate purgatory. Like, you actually <laughs> evict everything and get a clean slate. Oh, I'm with, I'm with Sam. I had to that. force close some uh, Adobe apps, and I, I, I mean, everything GPU went really slow. So I just thought I'd give my laptop a little restart, and then it needed to do... Uh, I did like the name uh, and shame uh, there. It wasn't just apps. It was Adobe apps. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Needlessly called out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then Apple decided it needed to do an update if we're calling out uh, companies beginning with the letter A. Um, I was just totally helpless. So I was just staring at a, a screen with like random numbers appearing on it um, while I knew I was now late for a recording. And I, I hate being late. As a German, I approve. <laughs> you, tr- you approve what, what of that, you? that frustration at being late. You, you're you're pun- also... Pun- uh, punctuality. Pun- punctual. I, I mo- mm. When I moved here, I actually did notice that there is a ever so slight cultural difference in perceiving the severity of being late to, to something. It's just a bit more relaxed. Like it is, it's, To that extent, the stereotype is true. Germans, on average, take punctuality quite seriously. It's good. I think oh, it's, a, no. it's a valuable trait. It's a shame that uh, Jake kind of didn't really live up to it on the, <laughs> on the warm-up to this recording. I hate because I usually turn up like way too early, and before it's even on time, I'm getting frustrated that no one else is like there or or stuff. Like, I, I... do you ever do the thing where you, you get there? So you get you know you've got to go somewhere. You wake up really early. You give yourself loads and loads of time, and then you realise that you're going to be so early you shouldn't leave yet. And then you wait to leave at the right moment, and then you end up being almost late because you didn't want to be so early that you hung around at home for a bit. And then you rush to get there because I'm I'm really good at that. I'm really good at being early and then stopping and nearly being yeah. late. I do that with mm. pretty much every online meeting because I'll be working away at something and then I'll get my little notification that says your meeting is going to start in 10 minutes. And I think, perfect, I'll be ready for that. Hit snooze. 12 minutes later, I think, was I was I supposed to be doing something? I, uh, I, yeah. I need more granular um, alarms. I'm sure. And that's I like that completely now they have, power. at least on Google Calendar, they've added like, "Oh, remind me in five minutes again." But it ah. really just makes the whole thing repeat yet another time, where you're like, "Oh, right, I have this minute in five meeting snooze," and then you forget about it again. Yeah, yeah I've been I've been late to like three meetings this week because of that. Like, I, I what I want is, I I don't want to be reminded in five minutes. I want everything to flash red when the meeting is now and. 
I mean, ideally, the window would just open, right? Because you still have the the the, the before you enter screen. It's like you want to join now, but it should just open and go in your face. Like here's your meeting that you're supposed to join. Yes, and the five minute snooze thing doesn't work if it's less than five minutes until the meeting now. Just to like just because you weren't paying attention to the notification, right? So that five minute snooze is now three minutes into the meeting or whatever. Mm. Like <laughs> okay. So we've insulted Google, Apple, Adobe. <laughs> Who's next? <laughs> what about Netlify? <laughs> Always on time. <laughs> I mean, I, I found this this web app written by a Phil Hawksworth that is a a clock, and sometimes that's it's approximately off. on time. That's a. I don't. I don't. I don't well, here's here's a here's a, a just some an area for debate. Is it a web app? I think it's a website. Oh, oh, oh no! Really? Oh no! No, sorry. Is it too early in the recording to go down that particular conversation? No, we could, we could do that. Let's do that. Why not? Because I feel like that it's an interesting distinction that I often don't do anymore. I often correct myself from website to web app and vice versa because mm. I don't know where the line is, and I'm not sure it's worth defining that line. Phil, what is your clock app site? What does it do for the? My, I don't know what uh, it is. My my my. Uh, my clock web app is I would say it's a website because it's a it's a web page that you go to and it all it does is it displays the time <laughs> and, uh, but, but critically it, it displays the time that it that was on the server when the website was built um, it's just that I I ask the web I, I ask for that to be built every minute of the day so that it always has the time uh, within about a minute. Uh, and I do that for every time zone so that, you know, you can route people to the correct time because it turns out time is different in different places. Uh, I learned a lot putting this together. What, what inside? Um, <laughs> what, what's the point of that? Uh, that's an excellent question <laughs> and one that I'm not entirely uh, well positioned to answer. Uh, I mean, I, d I did this as a as to demonstrate a point that like the friction in deploying websites has gone down from what it used to be. Um, mostly, I was I was sounding off because I used to work on lots of projects where the time to deploy would be four weeks, including a code and content freeze. And uh, I was just trying to illustrate that we've moved on a little bit since then. I think I may have overcompensated by trying to make a site that is rebuilt and redeployed every minute of every day. That's not necessarily that wise, but it's just it's just some static pages yeah. and, and that's it. So that's and that's why I think of it as a a website. Um, I, I I think. I think I often use a term, I think I borrowed this from Jake, I'm not certain, it might have been from someone else, but I think about doing sites and viewing sites, and a, a site where you go to view content, uh, I think of it as a website, and that's what this is, it's just viewing some information. It happens that that updates very often, but still, it's just you just view, whereas a doing site might be, I don't know, Gmail or some kind of app where you're configuring things and administering things and it's personalized and, you, and responding to your actions. That's a doing site, and I think of those as web apps, but I don't know. It's a bit of a fluffy, uh, loosey-goosey way of defining things, but it's that's how I describe them. It's interesting because for me, like the, the point of defining the distinction between an app and a site is only really useful if it helps you make certain decisions or if it yeah. changes the way you build it. And I've kind of reached the point where a completely static block and a completely dynamic game. I build them the same. I use the same build setup. I use the same technologies. I 
deploy them in the same way that the distinction just doesn't matter to me. And I'm, that is probably a bit of, um, uh, niche in there is that it only applies to me. There might be other use cases where there is actually a distinction how you build something depending on what of these two categories it would fall in. Um, mm -hmm. But most of the time for me, it's the same. And so I've kind of gone away from making an active distinction between apps and sites. Yeah, I used to get really frustrated with um, web app versus website because I only ever heard web app being used as an excuse to do something that I thought was bad right yeah like yeah you know, i would point out to someone's site well, was like, oh this takes like eight seconds to load or like why is this only rendering on the client this is and the excuse would be like well but this is a web app yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah do, do web apps have to be bad is that the rule <laughs> i don't know <laughs> like hmm so you could turn your website into a web app by adding in just a, a while loop that runs for eight seconds at the top of the yes. page and yes. bang you've got a web app <laughs> Yeah, it definitely was. It did become a kind of a catch-all excuse for, well, this is this is something clever and complicated. It's not something that you can just view view content, which also can be clever and complicated to make sure things are really super performant. But uh, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think the the reason to make a distinction, you know, those are kind of vanishing a little bit. But I don't know if someone described to me, uh, oh, the BBC News website is. You know the BBC BBC.co.uk that web app. I think is it a web app? Is it? It's just a site, isn't it? So I I think maybe that hasn't completely gone away for me. But I'm I'm the same. I don't ever really jump on someone and say well, I think you'll find it's a web app for something. And really, there's no. It's web stuff. I like making web stuff. Whatever whatever it's called. So you just yeah just say web. It's web app websites. It's all just just so so your clock is a web. It's a web. It's a web. It's a, just, just a web. It's a it's a frond on the web. I don't know. Can a website be a progressive web app, or are they different? I oh, know, just mixing words. Oh. <laughs> well, but, yeah, progressive web app is is. is I mean, uh, Francis Berryman wrote a really good web po uh, web post. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. So you've got me convinced. It's all web. <laughs> so she she wrote this this web post. Um, basically just detailing how progressive web app is essentially a marketing term to just sort of push forward a better quality web um and so yeah i mean you can have a site that's a progressive web app because it meets this bar where it kind of works offline to some extent and it hits these performance metrics it's kind of just a, a catch-all term for it does well in lighthouse really it works <laughs> offline to some extent to be fair i i the longer it is around the less I can derive any meaning from a progressive web app. If someone asked me, is this a PWA? Like, I still don't know where to draw the line. It's like, yes, working offline is part of it. And I'm pretty sure we have a good definition somewhere by now. But really, but I'm asking, is, is this a good site? I, yeah. Right? Like, I, they, I think there's even a case to be made that for me, a certain site that doesn't work offline could still be a PWA. I guess I'm not sure. That's not something I want to get into today. I think, but it, it kind of comes back to your 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 previous point as well about you know whether something's a, an app or a site and whether it is meaningful to ever describe it. I think PWAs were really meaningful as a way of convincing someone in like a marketing department that we could build this using web stuff. Rather, I mean, I know you'd love to have an icon on the home screen, but that doesn't necessarily mean you have to. 
build it for an app store or you know as a native application we can build this stuff with web stuff and so that label became really useful for those kind of conversations i found yeah that's um, because it Absolutely. kind of legitimizes this whole collection of technologies that otherwise you'd have to start explaining um and you know eyes can glaze over a little bit when you well certainly when you go down the service worker conversation route i know that eyes glaze over there i mean we've all had experiences <laughs> of that um but uh but it, it became really useful labels for getting buy-in from people that didn't need to um, you know go too deep into the understanding of the uh, the finer grain stuff so i still think that's useful there but otherwise i would never say oh that's not this it's that it's it doesn't really make much sense to me yeah the same thing happened with ajax the same thing happened with like web 2.0 and the good things that came out of that is that you could go to someone in like marketing and it's like well we we, we need to build a, a ajax site or a web 2.0 website which essentially just made you know, meant can you give me the money to make this website better yeah um, but they, they would say no to that question, but can it be Web 2.0, Ajaxified, whatever? And they'd be like, yes, take all the money, go and, mm. you know, and, and then you just take the money and make it accessible and quick. Why did we stop at 2.0? Why did we, why didn't we, uh, we should be, we should be way up the version numbers by now. I remember there was a, a blog post about Web 3.0, but I just don't think it took off. Mm. I, somebody tried. I'm, I'm pretty sure somebody tried. Uh well, it's PWA now. That's that's Web 4.0. I don't know. I don't know what number we're up to. <laughs> I think I think uh, that's the that's the little grab from this particular episode that I hope gets distributed everywhere. PWA is Web 4.0 now. <laughs> Google spokesperson Jake Archibald said in an interview. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Say goodbye to your replies in Twitter. <laughs> Are we? Are we also actually? Be, yeah, are we all surviving? We're all surviving the lockdown, aren't we? I mean, we're all we're all. I mean, accounted for. I have a pulse, so to that extent, That's a good start. The answer is yes. Yeah. Ah, uh, my um, my other half is is now furloughed. She is uh, so she is on essentially government holiday, um, which I'm sort of, I, you know, obviously it's sad to be, you know, not doing one's job, um, but then. Being on eighty percent pay and um, doing not a lot is—I'm <laughs> a little bit jealous about that, you know. Um, but she, she's actually given herself a job uh, and she's taking it very seriously. She's got herself a Disney Plus subscription and Ooh. she's decided to go through all of the Disney animated movies in order. Um, but in there's order. no skipping in order. Wow. Yes. Wow. Because I because so. Yesterday I asked her, I was like, oh, so, so how, was your, how was your work today, dear? And she's like, well, it was long and boring because today was Fantasia Day. So, <laughs> That's... Which as far as I can tell, that movie is just a tech demo. But it's a, it's a two and a half hour tech demo or however long it is. Yeah, I think you're right. I think, I think a, about 45 minutes in, people do lean over to each other and kind of whisper, is, is, what's happening? Is, this, is that it? What's, what's going on? <laughs> Mm, is yeah. it like is it this is it this all the way is, is this oh, has okay. it started is, is it... has it started <laughs> it's it's interesting because i i realized how much power netflix and and similar networks have because we you know uh, in the evenings when we eat our dinner and afterwards we usually watch something uh, and often it ends up being netflix and for i don't know how long it's been there but i just started noticing that when you go there it's like here's what's number one in the uk right now yeah um and so that's how i got aware of tiger king which we then proceeded to watch um and finish it and yeah it's 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 quite surreal it's 
also entertaining. And then yesterday, there was like a new series, Property, like this is number seven in the UK right now. No. Mm. First suggestion was good. Let's watch this. Uh, that was kind of crap. I was, we, we, found it, oh. we found it really boring. But I'm, I'm just thinking about the fact that when, while I assume it's an algorithm, like it's just like which, what is actually being most watched right now gets that label. If Netflix just decides to give a certain TV show this number one label, that just pretty much probably guarantees that that series now will actually be a success in terms of view numbers at least. Yeah. And I find that quite, yeah. I mean, this is probably like a very mundane realization because this is pretty much how all recommendation algorithms work and why people want to be on the New York bestselling list, whatever, New York Times bestseller list. But that's a lot of power to wield. And I don't think it would technically be, would it be illegal for them to just abuse that, to just say like, we're going to call this a number one right now? Summer, are you trying to make a secret point about the amp carousel on Google search? Blink I, once for yes, <laughs> twice for no. I was desperately biting my tongue throughout all of that, thinking this is this is a, an interesting hot take on the horizon. I didn't even make a connection, but it is there is a connection. Like you could definitely broaden it to that topic. Does the carousel still exist? I've kind of kind of stopped paying attention. Yeah, it's there. Yeah, yeah, and it's it, it's app sites, but um, yeah, there, there continues to be efforts to to like find the right way to get other sites. I really didn't in mean there. to bring AMP um, into this. It, that's on yeah. you, Jake. Now you've opened the Pandora's box of yeah terrible content now. So <laughs> let's get it all out. The pandemic's box. Does the AMP carousel of of things are is, is that displayed above the page of ads or below the page of ads before you get to the <laughs> oh zing sick burn <laughs> how do we get out of this topic hall now I, feel- well, I could start talking about portals but i feel like i've been talking a lot so um does, does someone else want to talk about a thing well i built a thing yesterday oh. um Oh, yeah. I finished building a thing. Uh, I'm probably going to publish it tomorrow, but that's going to be way in the past when this podcast comes out. So I feel like it should be fine to talk about. Um, and it won't surprise you to hear that it has to do with workers because that's pretty much all I, <laughs> I, I do nowadays. Um, if you're playing along at home, that's workers on the bingo card. <laughs> Tick. We'll get bill systems and uh, streams out of the way sooner yeah. or later. Yeah. Um, so there's, you know, I've been working a lot with workers and I've been trying to like wave the flag and workers are great and you should use them and done benchmarks around how slow is it really to send a message to the worker and get one back? Because that's often a concern that this kind of post messaging is slow. And it turns out it's really not like in most cases, it seems to me post messaging something is really fast and you shouldn't worry about it. That being said, there is still scenarios where post message and the underlying structured cloning, as it's called, that makes a copy of the message um, can cost time. And uh, a a short while ago, I wrote a blog post on how I moved a WebXR app to a worker because it did. It's like a room. You have 200 balls bouncing around. They bounce off each other. so don't only have a lot of data because for each ball you need to have the position and the the velocity vector and all these things, and um, but you also obviously have the physics calculations. 
And so I moved the physics to a worker, which worked great. But now I have to send the entire result to the, to the main thread for it to render, which is, you know, 200 balls each have at least three floats for position. It, it adds up quite quickly. Um, and I want to do that at the VR headsets devices frame rate, which in, uh, in the context of the Oculus Quest is 72 hertz. For the Rift, it can even be 90 hertz. So that's a lot of bandwidth that needs to happen between the worker and the main thread. And that's one of the scenarios where a normal post message can can actually become a bottleneck because that's just a lot of data to copy. Uh, and that's where array buffers usually come in. And people might be surprised. I'm not talking about transferring array buffer. Just copying an array buffer is so much faster than copying a JavaScript array. So if I just put all the positions and all the data that I need into an array buffer and just post message it, that copy will be incredibly fast. If you've ever worked in C, you know that memcopy, like copying a chunk of memory to another location, is really fast, and that's pretty much the same thing that's happening here. So why do we think it's so? Why, why is it fast? Is it because it's contiguous memory? Is yes, that, exactly. Yeah. Like it's it it just yeah. optimizes to one of these low level, almost processor level instructions. Like lots of processors are really really good at copying or processing continuous chunks of memory. Hmm. Um, so yeah, it's it's very fast and. If at some point you get into the area where, so I think these kind of like mem copy operations can easily copy about b- between two and nine gigabytes per second on a MacBook Pro. So that's a pretty big number. <clears throat> and so if at some point you end up building a work method where you need to copy more than that, that's where you can then look into transferring mem- memory, which avoids the copy altogether, but you lose access to it after you send it over. But that's a different story. Um, the downside of using array buffer is that you now just have this continuous chunk of memory, which you can interpret as a series of floats or a series of integers. So you kind of lose the the structure of the data. It's literally just a, a big array of numbers, and you need to make sure you interpret it the right way. And if you want to mix those types, it gets even more cumbersome. There is a, a, a data structure called data view which makes it somewhat easier to read individual values from somewhere in the memory and interpret it as different types. Um, oh, it's a really clunky API to use. It is a though, clunky API it? to use. Yeah. And so what I, whenever I talk to, to people about this, what they really want is something along the lines of a buffer-backed object. And what they mean is like they want to have a JavaScript object with all the bells and whistles. Like they want to have property names and uh, they want to be nesting things and have arrays and flows and all these things in a nice structure. But that can then get serialized to an array buffer, sent somewhere and then deserialized back to the object. Um, and I mean, that's not really a new, a new thought as that the, the, uh, these serialization formats have existed for a long time, like protobufs. And I mean, technically, even JSON is one because you can just turn it to JSON to a string and encode the, that into a, an array buffer as a UTF-8 encode a string or something, um, which wouldn't be fast. It would just be one way to go about it. TC39 has been looking into this for a long time now. Apparently, they're on the fourth iteration of somehow making this happen, but it doesn't seem like it's going to be happening anytime soon. And so I thought, let's build something in userland. Um, and, and that's pretty much what what, what I did. I called it a structured data view because it is under the hood just using data view, 
But at initialization time, you give it a structure. So you describe the structure of the object that you want to use. And then it basically synthesizes a little JavaScript object for you that is pretty much empty except for getters and setters defined in it. It will basically deserialize the values that you access at the moment where you access them. And when you assign a value, it will write that to the array buffer. So you're now kind of working on that array buffer in real time without realizing it by just using a normal JavaScript object. So I've, I've been I've had a look at your code for this. And so, so you, you pass in at the start, you, this JavaScript object is essentially like a, a map of um, a string ID um, and a um, length of data and a type, right? It, it's, well, it's more, well, the, the length of data is, is inferred from the type. So you, you're sort of saying ID is going to be a, a 64-bit float. Um, the, like, this next thing is going to be a 8-bit integer. Yeah. This next one's, and, and, and you're giving the, and you can then refer to them by those names afterwards. Exactly. And, and it becomes an array of those things, right? Is, it is that it right? can do like both a... now. I, you might have looked at it yesterday where I didn't, couldn't do individual objects. I talked to Jason and I was like, I had this use case in mind where you sent, I had this WebXR use case in mind, but I wanted to basically define a structure for a ball, which would have a position and the velocity in each of these properties would be basically XYZ vectors. But I wanted to have 200 of these balls in an array. And I talked to Jason Miller a bit, and we were kind of like, this is buffer-backed objects. But when you hear buffer-backed objects, you kind of think, like, I just want to have one object that is backed by a buffer. So now I can actually so I support both in the library. So you can either have an array buffer that just turns into a single object, or you can have a buffer that turns into an array of many of these objects. Um, and so I'm kind of like in the process of porting my old WebXR demo to now use this. Uh, hoping that will that it will make the code much clearer because I don't because in the previous iteration all I did I just had a big float thirty two array and would just do the index math myself and juggle all that and it like it worked sure but it's not the kind of code you just look at and you totally understand what was happening and so I'm really hoping that this is the kind of thing that will make code much more readable and at the same time because it is JavaScript objects with the scatters and headers. I have a hunch that the performance impact should be acceptable, if not negligible. I haven't done any benchmarks yet, but also oh, this might be useless. It, it might be useless, of course. Why not? It's, it's pretty much all my projects. <laughs> um, it would surprise me, though. What? It would surprise me if it actually would a if it would make things significantly slower. Well, I, I, you see, I, th I think like Jack earlier on like set the bar very high uh, when when he asked. So what's the point of this then? Which I, I feel is a question we've never really asked on this podcast before. And it's it's a very dangerous question to ask because I think yeah. just everything comes tumbling down when you really think about that. It all ends in the heat death of the universe, doesn't it? <laughs> wow. But I found I found your code really difficult to read because it, it's using uh, proxies. And I I love I love proxies for those very rare cases where you should be using them. Yeah. And this this is one of definitely one of those cases, um, but wow, it, they're they're difficult to read it, and difficult to manage as well. It's difficult to read. It's it's I have to look them up every time I write them. It's not like I know them by heart. Hmm. And also, I learned more things about the weird corners of JavaScript. So what I'm doing in the in the use case where I want an array of many objects, 
again, the 200 balls that I want to have in an array and in, in the buffer. Um, I basically create a holy array, I think it's called. So basically just a new array 200 if I have 200 balls. But those are all holes in there. The array is empty. But it's not that every index exists with the value undefined. The, the indices don't even exist in the array, which is something that JavaScript can do, which is kind of weird if you've never encountered that. And then, uh-huh. and then I wrap the whole thing in a proxy so that I can basically populate the individual indices at the point they get accessed by the code. Because if you want to work with really big collections of things, creating that array up front is going to be, could be quite costly. And if you just want to access one individual item in the big array, I wanted that to be cheap. And so that's why I wrapped a proxy around it. It was just really interesting to see because, for example, he, he, this is like, I guess, an interesting trivia question for, for our efficient scripts friends here. It, oh, oh, we're doing more trivia for them. If, wow, I, wow. if I if I do new array two hundred, what does so? And I put it in the value in the variable called array. What does five in array return? The number five or the string five? The number five. It returns the sixth element of the array. Doesn't so it? no, I meant like actually, actually the keyword in. You know how in an object you can. Oh, I'm sorry. Check. I see. So so if I you know an object when you ha- you can say like is the property x does it exist or not? You say x see, the string x in object. The same works on arrays. What but what when I say right. new array one hundred? What does five in that array return? I think it's false because I think that's one of those empty arrays, right? And then you'd have to fill it with values. And that's and what I didn't know, so, because I thought this yeah. array is 100 long, so obviously the key five should exist. But no, it it's does got not. holes in it. It's a hole. Mm. I knew mm. that holes would be uh-huh. skipped by things like f- filter and map and for each. Like I knew that, but I didn't know the key wouldn't even exist. And because I wrap it in a proxy where I want to pretend that this key exists, I actually had to overload that this oh. five in array would now return true, even though on the native array it would return false. And so... Th- all, that's, that's one of the reasons why the code ended up being quite weird because I do things that just don't seem necessary or are a bit convoluted. That all being said, in terms of the, the user-facing API, I think it's actually quite nice. So I'm, 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 I'm quite giddy to, to publish this and see what, what people think because if this doesn't turn out to be useless, it could actually be a very nice puzzle piece in my in my quest to make workers usable. Um, but let's, ah. let's, let's... We'll throw in a link to that then. Yes. And, uh, I th- I, I'm, try- I'm desperately a... trying to recall um, some of the, the pertinent details of uh, a, like a lightning talk that I saw that uh, Matthias Bynens did um, about holy arrays and JavaScript and like, like hacking around with using them for like all kinds of performance, like... Um, uh, improvements and he it was it's one of those talks where you you think i don't know what i don't know what's happening here and over the course of five minutes he slowly unfolds these kind of deep dark kind of crazy tricks hacks and secrets and it's a little bit mind-blowing i haven't retained any of it and used any of it for good it does sound uh, like a matthias talk though it, yeah it's so, it was so incredible I, it's something we should dig out and, and add to the show notes because it's kind of in the in the territory that you were just talking about yeah, you're right. It's a, it's a great talk. It, it's um, it covers all of the times that uh, V8 deopts yes. uh, when it comes to holy arrays, which yes. seems to be quite a lot. I don't I don't know what the benefit of holy arrays is, <laughs> but um, 
Uh, I assume we have them for a reason. I remember losing a lot of time once when I did like new array 50 or whatever and uh, tried to map through it or loop over it and it just yep. didn't get called once. I lost a lot of time yeah. before I realized what was going on. You know, that was actually yeah. the, 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 the symptom that I had yesterday that my proxy wouldn't iterate over the thing. But I didn't connect those dots. I obviously thought I must have messed mm. up my proxy code rather than just thinking about the the holiness, which I, I, I can't, <laughs> his, I, it's so enjoyable to say. It's the, <laughs> yeah, his holiness, the array. You're working on your Pope JS library. <laughs> <laughs> so now that I've plugged my, my, my new library, I'm actually good for today. So you can just close out the podcast, the three of you. <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of done. Just wibble for a while. I'd love to. Can I? Can I? I mean, I'm I'm a guest here, so what I am I doing say. piping up? Um, <laughs> I was I, I was going to ask if someone saw a saw a particular tweet that uh, sparked a bit of a discussion a week or so ago. Um, if, if I may, may may I indulge? Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm I'm aware that I'm a guest, and I I took my shoes off at the door, but you know I'm now I'm running a mock. Um, but there was a there was a tweet that I thought was. It was definitely loaded, uh, but it was interesting nonetheless that uh, the debate that some of it kicked off. This is a tweet from Zach Leatherman, who I've been a big fan of for a long time. If you, you know, people might know him from, like, I would be sad if he's anything else, considering he's your colleague now. Well, yes, exactly. This scumbag, <laughs> this, this scumbag that we're saddled with. Uh, <laughs> but people will probably know him from his work, like building the LMT static site generator, or or probably mm. his. Um, his work on like font performance kind of optimizations and lots of research there. Um, he's the the font of all knowledge there. Well, Anyone got accused of not having enough puns on our podcast last time, so came with that one in my back pocket. Um, um, but he he tweeted out uh, this this little kind of um, uh, poll on Twitter, and it was if you had to pick one, what would you pick? And the two options were faster build performance or faster site performance now this is clearly a little <laughs> bit loaded because he he you know can you say false dichotomy i well there's definitely some of those kind of comments along those lines in the in the the conversation that that cropped up from this and naturally he's trying to be a bit leading and you know he he builds a static site generator he you know he works at a company that does does kind of build optimizations and all that kind of stuff um so it's, he obviously was leading a little bit, but I thought it was just interesting to see the responses that came up anyway. And I was, and of course, lots of people said, well, you don't have to choose, but he was asking if you had to choose. I saw the tweets and the people who said, oh, why not both drove me mad because he literally says, if you had to pick one, like, yeah. read the question. <laughs> oh, yes. And so, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, what were you, what did, what, you obviously saw it. So, what was your kind of eye twitch moment, and what did you? What, oh, I, where did you go I, with that? I think build time is cheap. Use use my build time. Why not? I don't care. Like if what really gets used a lot, and where I don't have any control over, is on what device and on what network conditions and what circumstances my site is being used. So that needs to be optimized for. That has so much variety. Or so much. Yes. Yeah. It, it varies so much and you want to give everyone usually a good experience and and for build performance i mean i know that at some point you cross a threshold where it becomes unbearable like if on every build 
even in watch mode, every image gets recompressed and it build takes five minutes. Yeah, sure, infeasible. But also that should be so easy to fix when it becomes bearable again. Um, so I don't often feel build performance like, I, I think the current trend seems to be move more things into build time. Svelte is this whole thing where you move more work into compile time, which is part of build time. And mm-hmm. I know, you know, some apps need fast deploys, and that's also a good point. Um, but I think the vast majority do not. And so I'm, I'm super happy moving more work into build time. Uh, Jake and I have been talking about, um, how with Squoosh, we could actually tap more into code generation. So even put writing code into build time instead of making the user write it all out when it's kind of like in the types from TypeScript, we could just generate code from that. And mm-hmm. would it make the build slower? Probably significantly so. Like for me, build time and developer resources are cheap and plenty. Uh, so use them while the user opening your site, that, that that's the stuff that's scarce where you need to be careful. Yeah, I largely agree. Like I so I used to do I used to have a big interest in like video and audio codecs. And you know, there would always be an option there of like, how much effort do you want the encoder to put into this? And my outlook there was always put in the most effort because I'm I'm happy to spend like a couple more minutes encoding this MP3, given that I'm going to listen to it like 50 times or whatever and it's it's like that that one upfront cost for that higher quality from then on just seemed it seemed seemed like a no-brainer but i when we were doing prox some of the compile times were getting a bit high for watch mode and i think we could just go in and fix that but then um yeah for watch mode you have a very different tolerance right like that's where you want to hit save and by the time you switch the browser you kind of expect the compilation to be done because if that's not the case watch mode defeats its purpose. Yeah, so unlike a lot of uh, developers or unlike the defaults of some build tools, I like the development mode to be as close as possible to the dist mode, like the production mode. So like a lot of uh, build tools by default will um, turn off minification during dev. And that scares me because then I feel like I'm shipping code that I never really tested, you know? So... Uh, but that would, I guess that's one of the things that I would look at tweaking if the build tool times were starting to get a little bit high. Yeah, I, I think, um, I mean, that's a particularly good call out, the the notion that the optimizations and the things that will end up resulting in, you know, good performance could be a, is, is a thing that you toggle on and off and you have to remember to do it and it becomes a line item of effort that you'll deal with later on. So I, I kind of, I understand that kind of sentiment a little bit. Um, I, I personally um, do work that way, where I uh, I I don't have all the optimizations on uh, through my development kind of feedback loop, um, because I think you know you could kind of abstract this this tweet away to which is more important, developer experience or user experience, and and both are super important. And I think developer experience is really important. And before people come after me with pitchforks and thinking that I'm saying that's more important than user experience. Mm-hmm. Developer experience is only important if it's in service of better user experience, I think. But it can yeah. be important to have good developer experience for that very reason. Because if you're right, if your feedback loop as you're making changes and wanting to see the the changes, you know, uh, the impact of those changes, if that is too long, then you lose all kinds of 
momentum and context and all those kind of things. So that's why I often turn some of those optimizations, those build optimizations off while I'm doing certain tasks. But uh, but the holy grail, I think, is having the best of both, right? So you can you can have all of those optimizations happening without compromising the the um, the feedback loop. But I, I kind of think that's why Zach was asking that question a little bit to kind of needle into that and see see what kind of responses you people got. We solve, so I think really you, you can split build performance into the watch sort of developer workflow and then the like build when you're actually going to ship this thing onto the internet. I think the, the watch mm. mode, as we touched upon for me, needs to be super snappy and I wouldn't expect to run it with minification and, and so on. Though I do understand the reason why you would. Uh, but we, uh, previous place, we solved this by in the actual sort of production build, we would minify it and all the rest of it and then run a, a lot of tests on it, whether that be unit tests end-to-end tests that do test the, the minified code. So that's kind of how we dealt with it. Because I think we've probably all worked on a project where it takes like two minutes from saving a file to having the browser reload and up-to-date. And just no one ever wants to work on that. Mm. <laughs> so, um, yeah. and I, I will trade off a slower, a sort of deployment build for a quicker watch and developer workflow pretty much every time, I think, up to a point. Uh, but yeah, obviously nothing at the expense of the user's uh, and I think that's that's the distinction for me. I feel like developer experience is important, but for me, it is strictly less important than the user experience. Um, there is probably at some point, there is probably a point where if developer experience gets so bad that nobody touches code anymore, then users will suffer eventually. So that's not good, but that's then by implication that user experience will get bad. And so it gets more important. Um, but yeah, I think uh, it's just, I think it's dangerous to, value developer experience over user experience and then argue some sort of like trickle-down economics or something that if the developer is happy, they will be happier building a better site or something. Because I think we have seen that kind of mindset fail and not come mm. to fruition. Yeah, I, I, I think um, one can be true, but not but not necessarily the inverse. I mean, by having a terrible developer experience, chances are you're going to end up with a bad user experience. I mean, and when you talked about you know there are some circumstances where it might get get to that stage i worked in so many where it was way down that path and developing on like this big system would just be so challenging that you couldn't achieve what you were trying to achieve you even if you know you had developers who were desperate to create the most accessible performant experiences the hill was just too high to get over that they just just couldn't do it and that's i think that's really common i think um happily the the trend is moving away from that now and i think there's more expectation that we'll be able to do the things that we we know we need to do but it's it's not rare by any means but so i think having a terrible user developer experience usually results in a bad um user experience but the opposite doesn't necessarily hold true just by having a good developer experience you're not guaranteed a, a good user experience i think it it kind of depends on what you're valuing and what you're working towards and um where your priorities are so I think it's an interesting one. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm aware that we're we're hurtling towards. Um, well, my time is different to your time now since we, I mean, had to stop the recording at one point due to um, my Mac just having a complete episode and disconnecting all audio equipment. It's yeah, you know, it's doing running this update is looking like a, a great move as as time goes on. <laughs> um, but um, I. Yeah, in the in the previous episode, uh, we gave uh, 
Phil and Jack a, a quiz to do, and it went it went down to the wire. It went right down to the wire, mm. down to the last question. Um, uh, and you didn't didn't quite make it over the line, but I. Are you saying, What are you saying, Jake? Is we won. That's, that is yes, yes. <laughs> that, is, that is essentially what I'm saying. Um, but I, I believe you have brought a um, revenge quiz to the table. I don't. I don't think we just. Are we phrasing it that way, Jack? Are we calling it a revenge quiz? Um, I, the thing is, I don't want to call it that now and then have them do really well in the quiz. Yeah, that's because then we come exactly. out badly. So let's um, leave it, see how they do, and we'll come back and edit the word revenge in later. if need be. Clever. Yeah, let's do that. But yes, no, we we do have a quiz for you. Uh, so similarly, you gave us twelve questions about uh, JavaScript APIs and what they return if something is missing. Uh, we have twelve questions uh, about HTTP status codes. Oh no! Oh no! That's well, also on brand. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's, it seems like the only thing we could do, really, because I mean, you stake your reputation, mm. indeed, your very names on it, since that is the you know you, you use that in the name of your podcast. So, it feels oh my god! Okay, yeah. so <laughs> I mean, it's going to work. We'll, we'll describe to you uh, a status code. And we'll give you two choices. So we're giving you choices like you gave us, yeah. sort of uh, multi-choice. Okay. So we'll ask you to, we'll give you a description of a status code and ask you to tell us which of the two the two codes it is. Phil, do you want to start with, with number one? I'll do the first one. Um, and uh, we'll, we'll kind of ease you in uh, nice and gently. So, uh, so the first one, uh, uh, from the description of this re- response code, the server is transforming them. Uh, is a transforming proxy that received 200 from its origin but returns a modified version. So, and, <laughs> and that can either be 203 or 204. Oh, okay. You, you, do, you are easing us in. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's 204 modified. Is it? Oh, oh, hang, oh hang on. So, so <laughs> is... Oh, I'm nervous now. Hang, hang on, give, give me... Wait, no, no, no. <laughs> 204 is no content. Ah. Ah. So it is 203. It's so, on authority so, because it's been transformed. Is that how it works? I didn't know that. Is that what... Is that what that... We're learning... <laughs> I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm, well, de- well, I'm well, delighted to see you showing your working as you're going along. Um, and I, I'll be honest, I thought you would just simply... Swing and hit this one straight out of the park, since it is indeed the name of your podcast. But yes, you're, you're right. This is two hundred three non-authoritative information. The server is transforming a transforming proxy to receive two hundred from its origin, but returns a modified version. <laughs> I mean, so what we're saying is, this podcast is non-authoritative information. It, we yeah, always think- knew that, but I didn't know that even in the description, <laughs> it's like, we are just a proxy for authoritative information, but we're transforming it, which is such a good description of a podcast. I love that as yeah. well, to be honest. But yeah. I have to say, um, you, you get a point, and you also get our respect for knowing 204 and reverse engineering your answer. Uh, you got there <laughs> in a route that I wasn't expecting, but you're, you got there nonetheless. You, you saved me, Soma. Well done. We, so we should we move on the, to questions? Indeed. These Sorry, descriptions yeah. are all from Wikipedia as well, just in case you want yeah, to ask is our source. Of content. Yes, definitely. <laughs> so uh, num- number two... Uh, is described as the request has asked the server to switch protocols and the server has agreed. Is that 101 or 103? Oh. What? Interesting. It's, because I thought 100 a, is switching yeah. protocols. Uh, but this would be the 
the reply. Oh, it's so this, it's, it's like you said a normal request, and as a response, you get, by the way, switching protocols. While this one is the client is requesting to switch protocols into the server is agreed. I don't think that, but hang on, the client doesn't send a status code, does it? So mm-hmm. no, but it could be a header or something. Can we give me a description again, Jack? The request has asked the server to switch protocols, and the server has agreed. Oh no! So, so this is the server, the ser- server status code, and the choices are one oh one or one oh three. But this is like the client has requested the protocol switch, so it's initiated by the client rather than the server. It's always initiated by the client. Is it? I thought uh, when yeah, you go yeah, to a WebSocket yeah. endpoint, you just do a normal GET request. Oh. And then the server comes back like, by the way, this is a different protocol now. Off we go. Well, this sounds like the client is initiating, requesting, like, I want to switch to whatever. Oh, you're right. Um, <laughs> oh, it's just a guess then. Let's... let's uh, it's got to be 101. Because it's close to the other one. So 101. <laughs> That's yeah. And HTTP calls are completely logical, right? So this 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 will totally work out. Well, it has worked out. It is indeed 101. Yes! Uh, which I'm disappointed about. Uh, 103 is early hints. RFC 8297. Oh. Wait, I should have known that. Are those I didn't know that. No, they're still being yes, spec'd, right? Well, they're still being spec'd, but it's it's essentially like a, a better version of uh, H2Push. Yeah. Trying to redeem myself by just shoving out other knowledge I have there. Just shout um. out knowledge. <laughs> there you go. You're two from two. So, Phil, uh, time to, to ramp it up. Okay, so uh, question number three is not modified. Um, and that is, oh, is that a 300 or is that a 304? It's a 304. 304. Excellent. That's, we, th- we thought a th- a, an occasional well, low ball would get you there. Um, <laughs> 304. And do you, are you aware of what 300 is, out of curiosity? Uh, well, so it's a redirect status code because um, it's in the 300 range. But... So no, th- actually, no. I'm I'm quite surprised that I've never, because I know three hundred one, three hundred two, and three hundred seven are the redirects. Yeah, that you usually see in the wild. But so I, I, don't know. I wasn't aware of this one either. Um, it seems particularly pertinent for the quiz. Uh, three hundred is multiple choices, indicates oh! multiple options from the resource from which the client may choose via agent-driven content negotiation. Wow, wow. you're right there. You're three yeah. from three, so you're doing. And was it six success? Because this is not looking good for us, Phil, is it? So I'm, I'm glad we didn't commit to the revenge quiz at no, this, it's, at this well, stage. If anything, this is the, this is the building bridges. Uh, yeah, quiz. yeah, the friendly quiz. The warm yeah. hug quiz. I like it. The warm self-esteem boost quiz. Let's see if that continues. Should we, do, you want, do you want to move on to four, Jack? Let's do number four. Uh, it's called Switch Proxy. Uh, it's no oh, longer Christ. used, but it originally meant subsequent requests should use the specified proxy. And is that 305 or 306? Uh, how how would it specify about probably the location header? Also, it's in between the redirect ones that I know, so I actually can't do, can't go via exclusion either. Yeah, should we, should we just... Should we say, let's go, let's go 306. Yeah, I was going to say 306, so there we sure, go. Sure, why not? 306. I love the... You are I love the, correct uh, again. Oh! We knew this, Dan, of course. Easy, easy peasy, lemon squeezy. This is not good. I'm really... You've no idea how disappointed I am that you're four from four. Uh, 305 is use proxy. Uh, the yeah, so request the request resource is, is only available, available only 
through a proxy. Sorry, Phil. I'm just when does that no, make I'm, sense? I'm when when would you ever say like what is the role of a pro? But is it still a proxy if if it's the only instance that has the resource? Like what? I, sh- I should I should also um, just just explain um, that if you try and ask us clarifications about <laughs> implementation details or logic, there's. There's no, there's no success for you down I'm that road. I'm just asking for thoughts, yeah. really, because I'm like, is, is <laughs> what is it proxying to or from if it if it's the own? It, no. Well, Summer, for security reasons, many HTTP clients such as Mozilla <laughs> Firefox do not obey this status code. <laughs> it's entirely understandable. I mean, and proxies are pretty much dead in HTTPS land anyway. So yeah, that's true. All about the CDNs. Right, come on, come on. More questions. Right. Number five. Go on, Phil. Number, number five. five. I think you're. I think you're. I've. I've got high hopes for you here. Um, permanent redirect, but do not not allow the HTTP method to change. Permanent redirect. Right. So and the options are: is that a three hundred one or a three hundred eight? Oh, right. So I think three hundred eight. A three hundred eight and redirect. Wait, wait, wait. I don't think three hundred eight is a redirect. What? Yes, I think it is because like so. The 301 is is a little bit ambiguous about what happens with the HTTP method, I believe, and it's and 307 is strict about it should only it should go back down to get, and I think 308 is stick with your method and resend the body oh. if there is one. So I and, I and I'm going to look very silly now if I'm wrong, but I'm going to say 308. You do not look silly. You look very smart just for this oh. brief moment. Very good. <laughs> you say that's very good time, working Jake. out. Well, well, well played. Well played. So, hang on, you haven't got one wrong yet. This is starting to irk me a little. <laughs> Especially after you really you had something of a false start with the one about your own podcast name, but then it's, it's almost like you were toying with us. <laughs> right. you. We just to need fair, to plow on. The fact that you made this a multiple choice. Is very very mm. helpful. You're if well you just ask us You're for status well. codes, this would look grim. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. We didn't. Do that. Um, yeah, we just wanted to be friendly and nice, and you know, not give you some horrible undefined or null type quiz. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that, that was a horrible quiz. <laughs> that to was fair, horrible. That, we could have made it. We did make it multiple choice for you, pretty much, but it didn't help. It's <laughs> well, you did. You. The, 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 I also like that you said. Here are your choices. It's either null or undefined, and the answer to the last question was the string undefined. <laughs> and, and I don't, I don't want to give the impression that that's haunting me at all. But uh, yeah, we're, we're over it, it now. We're over it. <laughs> we're, we're over it. Okay, come on. Let's, uh, okay, let's number six. On. One is uh, payment required, reserved for future oh, use. This one God. is. It's not used yet, but it's reserved for future use. Payment well, required. Four hundred something something on. If we can give you a tiny extra hint as well, um, that may or uh, may not be relevant. The, I mean, the Google Developers API uses this status if a particular developer no has exceeded the daily limit on requests. I don't know what a particular Amazing. developer means. I have no <laughs> idea how this how this works. Uh, okay, and, and your your choices are four hundred two or four thirteen. It's got to be four thirteen. Uh, yeah, that's where I'm leaning as well. Because four two is one of the more more standard cases, I'm pretty sure. Ah, uh, do you know what? I'm starting to think it's four or two. <laughs> Let's go four thirteen. Let's go four thirteen. Go on. Should have listened to to yourself, Jake. It is four oh two. Can you imagine? Like this, this must be one of the it first got one wrong. codes. 
they must they must have come up with this code at inception of the HTTP protocol and be like, you know what, we need a payment required status code. That seems oddly specific. <laughs> We're going to yes. monetize this thing. It's an interesting yeah. idea. What was just for for yeah for education four thirteen payload too large. The request is larger than the server is willing or able to process. So there you go. You're on five from six. It's still very good, but I'm pleased still you've got very, one wrong. Still very good. I mean, that elusive number six is still still dangling in front of you. Let's see if this oh, one yeah. gets you there with question seven, uh, which is method not allowed. A request method is not supported for the requested resource. Is that a 405 or a 414? 405. Yeah, I think that's going to be early on in the set. I don't... Because it's... Oh, I've never heard four four one four. Probably exists, but I'm 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 very I'm I'm ninety eight percent sure it's four or five. Wow, that's uh, that's confident um, and interesting as well. Because uh, because you were correct. Damn it! Oh, <laughs> I, was uh, say, I was like, what? Four <laughs> um, fourteen. Uh, I have tripped up over uh, in the past, and I'm ashamed that I have a, tripped over it in the past. That is URI too long. So the URI provided was too long for the server to process. Amazing. Often the result of oh, wow. too much data being encoded as a query string uh, of a GET request. <laughs> um, and uh, I'll, I'll tell no stories about where I've encountered that in the past. Um, <laughs> so, oh, okay, so you have got you have got six of seven, which is troubling. Um, but let's let's keep moving on. Jack, do you want to move on to the next one? Yeah, number eight is simply gone indicates the resource requested is no longer available and will not be available again. 410, I'm going to say, but give me the choices. It's 410 or 429. It's 410. Surely 429 doesn't exist. I thought we, we, we stopped at 418, I'm a teapot. <laughs> but I mean, you, you, you said 410 before we had the option, so I'm going to trust you, Jake. Yeah, it's 410. You're right to trust Jake, it is 410. 429 does exist. Uh, and oh. it's too many requests. Spoils uh, the broth. <laughs> <laughs> That's correct. That's exactly as it spe- it's specified. Mm. Uh, not our words, the words of Wikipedia. Um, so, yeah, indeed, too many requests spoil the broth. Um, 419 is annoying. We weren't going to give you um, multiple choice for this because we thought this was more of a memory, memory test than anything else. Okay. Um, and it is I'm a teapot, so... 418. 418. No hesitation, just drops it in. We hoped at um, least you'd just be thinking, oh, is that 418, 481? How ridiculous is it? I don't know. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't have got that. But yeah. Obscure useless knowledge. It's my forte. You're, you're, uh, you're all smiles at the moment. Okay. So you've you're, only dropped one point so far, and we're moving on to number 10. Yeah. Can you get into double digits? Number 10 uh, is upgrade required. Client should switch to a different protocol such as TLS, given in the upgrade head upgrade header field. Is that four two six or four oh seven? Oh. We've got them, Phil, we've got them. Yes. Yeah. This would be a guess from me. Again, I I, I sort of lean towards the earlier number. So it for feels me, more fundamental, but I know that doesn't work for the payment. I, I would have one, thought so. the other way around. Because Originally, they were like, you know, HTTP, it's a thing. We don't, there's no upgrades. You're on HTTP, you're good. <laughs> and then, like, a couple of years later, they were like, forgot about upgrades, mate. Need a new status code. Oh, yeah. 426 is available. Let's go with that one. 
that, oh, okay, that, that, that'll be my logic. But all right then. Yeah, four twenty-six. All right, go for it. Lock, lock it yeah. in. Lock it in, mates. It's, <laughs> it's, good, it's, it's good logic, Summit. Uh, it is correct. It's four two six. Wow. Four oh seven oh. is proxy authentication required. Oh, proxy. So very good logic. They they were all about the proxies back in the day, weren't they? Yeah. Loved a good proxy, Love- yeah. Ah, the next one's a fun proxies. one as well. The next one, the next one's a, a personal favourite of mine. Um, uh, what's th- which one is uh, unavailable for legal reasons? Oh, I know <laughs> this one existed, and we use it in our April Fools thingy. Oh, do you, I mean? Do you want me to give you the, the options, or are you going to be all cocky and <laughs> yes, do please? The, do... <laughs> no, no, I, I, need, I need the options. I'm just trying to remember the April Fools thing that we did. So the your options are. 451 or 408 for unavailable so, for legal reasons. It's interesting, isn't it? Because like the, it, the payment required one was such an early number. I, yeah. That makes me think that they're also thinking of the legal stuff mm-hmm. early on. But then, but then, but then, like, I'm, I remember the I'm, early days of the internet. The law was not there. I'm, I'm mostly amazed that something like 451 exists. I was convinced that the last one was 418. But well, there's all sorts of extensions and stuff, yeah. isn't there? So, um, I, I I would go with the lower one. Yep, same lower one. You're going four oh eight. Four oh eight. Yeah. I'm afraid you're wrong. Oh, I'm you're wrong. Um, so it, this is four fifty one, and apparently the code four fifty one was chosen as a reference to the novel Fahrenheit four five one. So there you go. Oh. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> Uh, 408 of course just returns the string undefined Um, no 408 is request timeout the server waiting for a request so there you go so wait was that number Um, 11 that was number 11 so So you're on 9 yeah so we have one last one to try and get to the double digits this is a big point of pride I mean mm. we said early on didn't we that 10 was really the winning number for this class 10 is is (laughs) the Uh, we, we dumbed it down for the sake of the listener, but 10 is really the finish line that you're trying to go. Mm-hmm. All right, all so, or yeah. nothing, off we go. So, the final one. HTTP version not supported. The server does not support the protocol version used in this request. Is that 505 or 511? Okay, so this would have come in around the time of HTTP 1.1. Mm-hmm. Unless they did it, unless they did it around HTTP one, because there was not point nine. There was. What did I say? There wasn't zero point nine. Um, what are the choices again? Five oh five or five eleven. Uh, it's not like I know. It's not like they also the fa- both fairly early in the range. And the... <sighs> but that being said, if if we think if we take that logic, HTTP zero point nine would easily have a lot of 500s. Yeah, I think it's 511. Yeah, I would go with 511 as well. 511? I'm afraid you haven't made it. Oh, oh no! What a shame. That's that is absolutely devastating. Heartbreaking. Oh. We're, we're so sorry. Uh, five, it is 55. 511 is network authentication required. Uh, the client needs to authenticate to gain network access, which I didn't know. This is often used by the sort of free Wi-Fi captive portly type things oh. to figure out if I'm you, also surprised you need to log in. It's a, I'm surprised that's in the 500 range because the other one was in the well, 400 range. It doesn't... Well, weird. I mean, you, 
you you can be as surprised as you like and you, you can challenge it as much as you like but this is not our rules my friends this is the rules of wikipedia i'm gonna go edit wikipedia <laughs> <laughs> some of these are plain wrong um so i mean that's i think you put up a sterling performance there. that was you gave a wonderful account of yourselves but you did just fall short a tiny bit at the end, which is, <laughs> yes, we did. Which is kind, kind of a shame, considering oh, the strutting no, that was going on earlier on. Cran uh, out of steam just yeah. before the finish line. Yeah. Had, no, there's some impressive it. logic oh. and uh, impressive reasoning going on there, though, I have to say. Apparently incorrect that was reasoning. Fun, though. I, enjoyed I, that. I enjoyed this a lot. That yeah. was really good. Yeah. Oh, thank, thank you for putting that together. That was good fun, even though... Th- thank you for forcing our hands to write a quiz. <laughs> <laughs> So I, t- I tell you what I'm doing this evening, which I'm quite I'm quite looking forward to. Um, me and my my family are um, going to hop on some kind of video call. Haven't quite decided how that's going to happen yet. And we're going to try and play categories uh, remotely. Categories. Um, so I I love categories. It's my favourite like um, party game. Uh, all that happens is well, you've got a dice with um, most of the letters of the alphabet on. Uh, and you have a card with a uh, with twelve topics, uh, and you each have the same card. Each have the same twelve topics. You roll the dice. You start a three minute timer, and you each have to come up with something which um, matches those topics that begins with that letter. So the topics would be things like um, uh, something you would find in a foreign country, or something like that, or like you know something that smells bad, and. You write your answers in the three minutes, um, and you get a point if you have a unique answer that everyone agrees is a correct answer. I, I really, see. I really like this game. It's good because it's like the debate is part of it because people will come up with just stupid answers. So like it's mostly in in the argument. Uh, but I spent I spent uh, an hour this morning um, making a little um, preact app. Of course you did to do. Uh, the uh, that puts all the subjects on the screen and has a timer and has a way to roll a letter dice, um, just so I can present that in the hangout and everyone. Because so I'm I'm really looking forward to that. Like it was oh, so it's just it's, it's just a glorified presenting screen, not an actual multiplayer app. Yeah, no, it's, it's not a multiplayer app. It is just a yeah, just a way to for for, for yeah a, a presentation screen with a few keys I can press for like yeah. restart timers and go back and forward. The reason I'm asking is because you are working on a multiplayer app, but I don't think it's public yet, is it? It's not public yet, and I think a couple of episodes ago I said like if I haven't released this by the next episode, mm-hmm. then people mm-hmm. can like complain. Um, it's gone through the Google legal machine. Um, and there are some changes they want me to make for privacy reasons, which are all absolutely reasonable. Uh, it's just, it just—it seems like they're taking my silly side project a lot more seriously than I was. So um, <laughs> I need to find the time to go and do that. But yeah, that is a, a, a massively multiplayer. A massive uh, multiplayer. App. It's it's, it's is it competing <laughs> with World of Warcraft. I don't, I don't know why. It's definitely not massive. I don't know why I said that. <laughs> it's it's a moderately moderately multiplayer online. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so can I find you on the EU service or on the... (laughs) (laughs) Well, well, I've been learning a a lot of stuff about um, doing uh, drawing apps, you know, because part of it is, you know, you're sending drawings to each other. um, So I've been learning about all of that sort of stuff. Um, One of the things that caught my eye was uh, we have desynchronized canvases now um, in Chrome, and I I think it might be in... Firefox as well but this is where the the canvas becomes 
um, detached from the event loop. Um, so when when it receives a draw command, it can update its pixels instantly. Um, uh. So if anything else like later than that causes a frame to be skipped, doesn't matter. We've already drawn to the canvas. Right. So it's if, you know if you were trying to use or you know, synchronize a canvas to other DOM animations that are happening. Don't use this. But, <laughs> but it's the, the drawing commands are still tied to the event loop, right? Um, because it's still well, JavaScript no, have... that draws to the canvas. Yes, yes, absolutely. But if it, as soon as you do the drawing command, the canvas can then show it. Whereas right now, it has to wait for the render steps of the event loop to come around. Right. Um, and if something does later block that frame, is that... then the canvas is also blocked. This seems especially relevant for also like WebGLE stuff, because is, is it the kind of thing where it doesn't do the double buffering? Because in, you know when you write your own yes. game engine, what you often do is you create, I'm going to you know butcher this explanation a bit, but you basically create two canvases and you show one and you draw on the other. And then you, when you yes. finish drawing, you switch them. So the other canvas is showing you can draw the other so that people don't see in-progress pictures basically on their screen. Now, Chrome yeah. already does that internally, and so often when you like, especially in, in a WebAssembly land where you just compile your, your GL app to WebAssembly, you have code in, in WebAssembly that does the bubble, bubble buffering. You give it to Chrome to read, to show it. And then Chrome internally does another step of double buffering, which is wildly unnecessary. And so this would probably be one of the use cases, but it's interesting that it's, I, I wonder if there's also an advantage in like super high frame rate screens that it might be more responsive or something. I think it gets you out of the buffering. I'm not 100% sure on that. Um, but it seems to make sense because, yes, the drawing happens as soon as you write it. It doesn't hold it back. So that does suggest that it's not um, not doing any buffering. It also will throw the canvas on top of everything else. Ah, um, yeah, because it, can so it, can, can be it can't participate in compositing anymore because for that it needs to be buffered into a texture. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Finally, you can have tearing on the web. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> But um, but it's really handy for low latency drawing, as well, because you're just like as soon as those draw com commands land, it, it, it's it's updating. Um, but a sort of companion to that is pointer raw update, uh, which is a pointer event. Um, I don't know. We might have talked about these on the show before, but like some events have, um, they wait until the render steps of the event loop before they fire, and this is usually events that are updating a value or a couple of values and it's the change event for those values so that would be things like point and move uh resize scroll position where it doesn't have to fire for every single number change it can just sort of wait to the render steps to do that and yeah and that happens with um uh, pointer events as well in in most browsers but whereas uh and, and that's a problem if you're using this desynchronized canvas you don't want that to become you know you don't want to be shoved back into the render steps uh, for that delay. So this pointer raw update is just a kind of more frequently firing um, uh, uh, pointer event, which usually would be bad for performance, but in this desynchronized canvas world, it's, it's exactly what you want. So yeah, Does I, it, I, I, I learned things. So the pointer events thing also has this this event coalescing that's happening, right? Does this not do that? Yeah. Um, so you, will, you can still get um, coalesced pointers in a raw pointer update, okay. pointer raw update. Yeah. So in case you don't yeah, know, so like the pointer events can get coalesced in the sense that I don't know when this happened. I guess if the event loop doesn't catch up to like a number of inputs, like if I draw on the screen, it will obviously trigger many, many input events under the hood. 
But if the, the, the event loop doesn't process these in time, they will get smooshed into one single pointer update event. And you can inspect to get a detailed list on all the events that have been smooshed together into one event. That's how I understood it, at least. When I yeah yeah so so without that like if you're in a drawing application um, if you do a really fast curve um, it, because your mouse events might be getting, being batched uh, like either delayed by other things on the main thread or batched into the render steps depending on the method you're using um, that curve might end up looking like a line but you can do this um, get coalesced events <laughs> gonna, um, <laughs> I think it's that uh, and it will give you all of the points that happened in between so you can you can draw that nice lovely curve are you using that um, in your app I sure am because I've got a nice little uh, pointer library which no one cares about uh, but we used it for oh in Squoosh uh, right Squoosh yes uh, so I have been um, using that again and I've been enhancing it uh, with, with some little features like this uh, raw pointer update stuff uh, the coalesced event stuff was already in there but yeah, yeah, it's it's a library. I'm just mentioning it so I can link to it in the show notes, really, because <laughs> I like it. No one else uses it, but I, it's, I'm, it's, it's, <laughs> it's wait, a library it's, I'm it's quite a, fond of. It's a custom element, isn't it? Because we actually have two major custom, three major custom elements, I think, in Squish. It, it's, not, it's not a custom element. It's um, You're thinking of the pinch zoom element that we've oh, got, that uses, which uses that. Right, this. right, right, right. Yeah. So is yes. this likely to surface as another kind of showcase web doohickey like squoosh and like uh, prox, or is this oh, is this a uh, is this an Archibald uh, <laughs> production? A, yeah, this is a mess around. This is more like, hey, I built a thing, have fun with it, and also well, here's he all says the code. That. He's been working on it since January, I want to say. It's it, little bursts because <laughs> I I, tr- I tried to get it ready for an offsite we had, and I did actually get the like half a version done by the end of the offsite, which was kind of useless. Uh, but then when the whole isolation thing happened, I thought, well, this is my second chance. So I'll hmm. have it ready just as the as isolation ends. So, um, yeah. But yeah, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll release that when it's ready. I've got my to-do list now. I've just got to find the time to, to finish it off. Well, we've been talking for a long time. Have we? Is it? Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Yeah. So we're allowed to go outside um, again now, though. So that's nice. <laughs> well, my other half is annoyed because she's trying to uh, pressure wash the um, your bum the driveway, and I <laughs> and I said, "Don't do that." You can hear it in the microphone. Um, so, um, so yeah, I, I can go. I can we can we can all leave, and I can go and tell her that she can, uh, you know, Life do her pressure continue. washing, and then watch the next Disney film, which uh, you know. Do you know what the next one is? Do you know where she moves on to from? Uh, well, from she Fantasia? watched Dumbo this morning, which is a, a nice quick watch because Dumbo's <laughs> only sixty minutes long. Ah, oh, good old um, times. And do you know why it's only sixty minutes long? Go on. Uh, because they had to save money. They well, they had to recuperate money uh, after the massive loss they endured with Fantasia. Really? <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they was like, well, let's save money on animation by just making it quite short. They could so, have kept it equally long, but just like drop their frame rates right down. It's just like yeah. just like a really clunky <laughs> flick book, or just make it you know less hype. You know, just put like a little elephant on a stick and have it like walk through the frame. And then Captain Pugwash style. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, Captain Pugwash. There's a reference that's not going to land for everybody who listens to this. It doesn't. Did land for me, but I'm just I'm just nodding along. You'll have fun <laughs> looking that up later. Right, well, well, I guess with that, happy next time. Happy next time. <laughs> <laughs>
Happy next time. Happy next time. Bye. <laughs>